The reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And there's also a second reading after that, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. Our Father, no matter how we walk into church this morning, what a wonderful news to know that at the heart of the universe, on the throne of the universe, is the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning over all things. And so as we turn again to your word, would you convince us of that ever more deeply, and would we live out our lives in response to him as the risen king who will return? Amen. Now, Acts is a book uh, written to give us confidence. We're told that uh, uh, right from the off. Jesus Christ is building his kingdom, and it's unstoppable. Now, it doesn't always feel that way, or seem that way, I guess, often to us. Uh, sometimes God's actions are a little bit bewildering. We wonder, uh, what's going on? Jesus, you've been gone quite a long time. Um, how long is long? How, how long... Do we wait? And things don't always seem to be going to plan. There's quite a few setbacks for the Christian church in all sorts of different ways. You might look around in the public square and think, well, it's harder to be a Christian than it used to be. If someone like Tim Farron can say it's impossible to be a leader of a political party in the 21st century and a Christian, oh, oh, well, that, it's harder to be a Christian. You might just see it in your own life on a smaller scale. You, you have a choice and you decide to do the right thing, the thing which is obedient to Christ, and you suffer for it. And you think, oh, 
oh, that hasn't quite gone as I perhaps would have thought. But still, the kingdom of God is unstoppable. Or you could look around the world. I read this week of uh, a chap in uh, uh, India, in Punjab state, Pastor Sultan Massey. He was shot dead. He'd received death threats over a period of months, told that if he continued to keep on preaching the Christian message, the gospel, he would be killed. And he kept on preaching. So age 47, he was shot dead, leaving behind a wife and four children. His eldest son is 22. He's training to be a pastor as well. And said, our father was a courageous man and he was never afraid to die for Jesus. He put the same zeal in us. Our family would continue to serve God. Well, in one sense, that's an inspiring story for you and me. But for them, father shot dead, mum, four kids, eldest saying, I'm going to do the same as him. For them, they really need to know that Jesus Christ is building his kingdom and it's unstoppable. Otherwise, their father's death is a waste and what they're doing is a waste and they're in severe danger for no end. You've got to have confidence that this is true that Jesus Christ is building his kingdom. And it may not seem it, but it is unstoppable. And that's what Acts is written for. We had read uh, uh, just at the beginning, uh, Luke verses 1 one to 4. The reason being, of course, uh, uh, Acts is the second book uh, that Luke writes. It's two scrolls, a scroll in the ancient world, about the same size as a kitchen roll, that sort of thing. And uh, Luke had filled up one uh, with, the, uh, with Luke's gospel. He had another one. It was a two-pack, so he thought I'd better write kick it. No, it wasn't that. But, uh, and so Acts is of volume two. But because they're really one, Luke 1, 1 to 4, tells you why he wrote it. And he wrote it... Most excellent Theophilus, he writes it to some significant player at the time, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So you know for certain, for sure. Luke wanted Theophilus and he wants us to be absolutely certain about these truths. In fact, as you work your way through Acts, I think I'd want to put it, he wants us to be certain about in three different ways. He wants us to be certain about the truth of the gospel. This happened. Jesus died and he rose and he is raiding. He wants us to be certain that that is true, the truth of the gospel. Secondly, he wants us to be certain about the content of the gospel. What actually is the message? And so you see throughout the book of Acts, as, uh, as uh, the, the first Christians encounter uh, opposition from different spheres, that who the message is for and what the message is gets sharpened all the time. So the content, sorry, the truth of the gospel, it's true, the content of the gospel, what actually is the message that anyone can trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. In him alone. And then thirdly, I think the innocence of the gospel, if I can put it in those terms. The Christians in the first century here, they're being accused of being a disruptive influence in the Roman Empire, of causing all sorts of riots and disruptions. And particularly the last third of the book of Acts seems to be written to say, no, look, we, we did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong here. Opposition has caused the, the problems. And so in one sense, I suggest, what could be more contemporary for you and for me? To know the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ, 
was a man who taught, lived, died, rose again in the first century and is God. Not everyone believes that, of course not. But what is more important than that, that is true. The content of the gospel, we've got to know actually what the message is. The, the innocence of the gospel. Because again, in the 21st century, as we move to a climate where Christianity is not perhaps just a matter of indifference, but increasingly described as immoral. It's immoral to be a Christian and say, having a mother and father is the best way for children to be brought up. That's offensive to say in some circles now. So again, we need to you know this is, there's an innocence to the message as well. But ultimately, we need to know it's certain. It's truth, it's content, it's innocence. Uh, Luke wants us, as we go through the book of Acts, of course there are times in our lives where all of us think, what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? What is, why has is, why is he allowed that to happen to his church? What is taking place? And if we read Acts rightly, we'll say he's building his kingdom. The unstoppable kingdom of Jesus Christ, it grows. There's always opposition. There's always hostility. But it grows. And that begins here in uh, chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1. We just look at these first 11 verses. Uh, and here, already we start to see that what's taking place. Uh, three things we learn about Jesus. Two ongoing, one uh, in the past tense. But he's the risen hero of Acts, timelessly true. He commissioned the apostles back then. And he is reigning until his return. Let's work through them. Jesus said he's the risen hero of Acts. Let me read again verses 1 to 5. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the risen hero of Acts. So verse one there, all that Jesus began to do. So Luke is about all that Jesus began to do. Acts is about what he continued to do. In Luke's gospel, you could say the kingdom of Jesus is established. In Acts, it's expanded, began, continued to do. So Jesus is the hero of the book of Acts. Okay, it's all about what he did when he's ascended to heaven and uh, has begun his reign. So he's not walking the planet. And so some, of course, if you read this and it's been known as the Acts of the Apostles, or some will call it the Acts of the Spirit, and that's okay, it's okay in one sense. But he is still the hero, Jesus. As you work your way through it, he sends the Spirit, 235. He grows the church, 247. He grows the church, 1121. He is the one who inspires all the people to preach, 755. He appoints witnesses. He heals the sick. All these things are ascribed of him. Jesus does these things. He's the subject of all these activities. So if you wanted an accurate but unbearably clunky title, it would be something like, the acts and words of the risen Jesus Christ that he used to expand his kingdom by his spirit through his apostles. But no one's going to remember that 
So it's okay. We can just call it Acts, all right? But that would be an accurate title. The Acts and Words of the Risen Jesus Christ that he used to expand his kingdom by his Spirit through his apostles. He's the hero. And of course, he's the risen hero. Again, the emphasis here. In uh, these first few verses, you get a recap of the gospel events. So verse 3, after his suffering, he suffered a substitutionary death. He rose again and instructed his disciples. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. I, let me unhelpfully tell you what I think when I read that. To you. Many convincing proofs. What, what were they? I mean, we read at the end of Acts, he sort of ate some food. Oh, that's good. And he appeared before them all. Oh, that's good. What were his many convincing proofs? Unicycling? Juggling? I don't know what they were, but many convincing proofs that he was alive. I don't know how many ways you can prove you're alive, but many convincing proofs that he was alive. Because this is true. And it is one of the joys, the pleasures of being a Christian. That our faith, well, the faith is built upon events in history. Not one man saying, oh, I had a dream, I had a vision trust me, but a whole load of events that many people saw and many people witnessed. And it's very easy to say, oh, this man Jesus rose from the dead. No, it's very easy to do that until you start investigating it. And many will know it's quite a dangerous thing to seriously investigate the resurrection of Jesus because many who have done it have ended up becoming Christians. I've not read, I was looking at some of these, but I read uh, this week extracts. The book got a bit dull after a while, if I'm honest. But uh, uh, Dr. Pinchas Lapid is a German historian. Uh, I thought it was interesting because he's uh, a practicing Jew. He wrote a book, The Resurrection of Jesus. In the introduction, that's how far I got now. That is kind of how far I got. But in the introduction, he said, how is it that disciples who by no means excelled in intelligence, eloquence, or strength of faith were able to begin their victorious march of conversion. The resurrection of Jesus is the most rational explanation. And then spends the rest of the book, as far as I could tell, the rest of the book saying, but I don't want to become a Christian, so now what do I do? Um, Because, well, when you look seriously at what happened in the first century, it is the most likely historical explanation of all that took place is this man was genuinely risen. From the dead. Now you need to know that if you're not yet persuaded. Actually, for, the, for those of us who are Christians, we, we do need just to be certain on that fact uh, and be reminded. And, and sometimes it's good to go back to it. The um, uh, tragically now deceased, but the, 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 the well-known Australian evangelist John Chapman uh, was very fond of telling people of his struggles in this regard. I heard him tell this story many, many times of how he'd wake up in the morning and think to himself, is it true? Actually, I've been a Christian all my life. I'm a Christian teacher. Is it true? And he'd go through the same steps. He'd say, Chapo, have you received any new evidence that Jesus didn't exist? I have not. Any new evidence that he didn't die? I have not. Any new evidence that he didn't rise from the dead? I have not. Well then, blockhead, get on with following him today. And sometimes even those of us who are Christians just... We need to be certain of this. Sometimes we need to go back and and just check for ourselves. But he's the risen hero, Jesus Christ. He's the risen hero of Acts. 
And what we see him doing here, secondly, is then he commissions the apostles. Mainly verses 6 to 8, but we get little trickles of it beforehand. He commissioned the apostles. So we're told all the way back in verse 2 that there are a certain group, these 11 left now, that Judas is gone. But these 11, he had, verse 2, he'd chosen them. Verse 3, he'd convinced them. Verse 3, he instructed them. Verse 4, he commanded them. Uh, Verses 4 and 5, he gave them a promise to empower them. This first group of apostles, they are unique. None of us have had a 40-day seminar with Jesus where he explains everything about the kingdom of God. They are unique. So he gave them training. Verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom Actually, in the book of uh, in Luke's gospel, kingdom is the sort of dominant term. This is a little side, just, a little, just for your information. In the, in Luke, in, he talks about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Very rarely in the book of Acts, twice at the beginning, twice at the end, four times in the middle in certain key speeches. But the point I think is, he wants to make is to teach the kingdom is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is his identity, his death for sins, his resurrection, his return, to present the gospel in the light of all the Old Testament promises. That is to preach the kingdom. You teach the gospel in the light of everything that's gone before. So Jesus explains that to them, gives them, as I say, a little 40-day seminar. And so no great surprise when we, uh, we turn and the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and Peter goes, well, let me tell you about the Old Testament, how it fulfills. Uh, 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 everything is fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus has taught them and then empowered them by his Spirit. More of that in chapter 2. But the apostles here, they, they, they gathered around him. They've had 40 days of seminar, and, uh, but they're still missing a trick or two because verse 6, they gather around him and ask, I guess not an unreasonable question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? No. No, I suppose it's not an unreasonable question, but he says, no, you, you're thinking too small. I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel like it was under Solomon. Not to Israel, to the world. My kingdom is going to spread to the world. And not right now, but it's going to keep on spreading and spreading until I return again. And so for you, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority. You don't need to know the details. All you need to do is tell people about me. You need to proclaim the kingdom, who I am, my death for sins, my resurrection to rule, my return, all those things. Just go and tell people about me. That's all you need to do. That's what you need to be about right now. And you will be my witnesses. Uh, Verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that is, there's a little table so we don't spend time on it, but that's a, that's a theological agenda. So this message is going to go to Jerusalem, where King David's throne was, to Judea and Samaria, that is the, 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 the nations are going to be united that have been split apart, and to the ends of the earth, as all the Old Testament promises. But it's also the agenda for the book of Acts, and you can see that how he works his way through it. But in one sense, just we need to dwell upon the fact that's very wonderful. 
can't quite think how many years ago it would have been. I think we had something like a seven-year-old and one-year-old at the breakfast table. And we were reading through the early chapters of Acts over breakfast. And uh, every morning we begin by saying, remember, the gospel message, it goes to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and in a very childlike way, the ends of the earth. And we'd all stretch out our arms as far as we could possibly do it. The ends of the earth. That is wonderful. This tiny movement. Jesus is just teaching 11 illiterate fishermen. It spreads. It spreads to the ends of the earth, to the UK. And it is wonderful, isn't it? You know, if you travel, I don't know how many places you've been to church. Certainly I've had some privileges of going to the church in Jerusalem. Church services in Judea and the ends of the earth. Africa, the Middle East, Australia, Wales. It's extraordinary. Jesus is growing his kingdom. It's unstoppable. You can be certain of that. Chapter 1, verse 8 this is what's going to happen, and that's been happening since that very day until today. Now, you and I, uh, we're not the apostles. We're not those first 11 disciples. We've not seen Jesus with our eyes, and we've not heard him personally uh, have had him teach us uh, face to face. Uh, The idea of being a witness, it's a technical word. We think about this next time uh, in the book of Acts. And yet there's a secondary sense in which we could rightly say everyone who is a Christian has been called, has been instructed, has been empowered by God's Spirit to speak of Jesus. And we're not invited to share our faith. We're commanded to do so by Jesus Christ. And you and I don't want to make this mistake. They sort of make in verse 8 of thinking, Jesus, are you going to build your kingdom here on earth? quite hard to travel behind a bus in London without seeing an advert for some Christian conference promising amazing things on the way in. Next weekend at the O2, there's a big higher life conference promising everything now. No, we don't want to make that mistake. It's not all now. We don't want to make uh, be too parochial either and just obsess about our own little locality as they do, just about London or just about the UK. We do want to be global Christians and know that Jesus Christ is building a kingdom across this planet that will last into eternity. And it is unstoppable. And we're to speak of him. We're called to be a part of that. Let's be honest. Uh, When we hear stuff like that, though, many of us will feel a certain ambivalence. Yes, yes, people need to hear about Jesus Christ from someone else will be good. I've quite enjoyed uh, going back in time and reading. It was somewhat of a classic in the 1990s. The classic might be overstating it, actually. Uh, but some will remember the diary of Adrian Mole, and there was a spoof Christian thing, the sacred diary of Adrian Plass. It was quite funny at the time. It's still quite funny, actually, if you go back and reread it. Re-read it. Uh, and I was rereading uh, a little segment um, of this sort of spoof diary. Uh, it's a fictional diary of a very ordinary English bloke, Christian. Here's his entry for Sunday, January the 12th. Ah, excellent sermon on witnessing by Reverend Edwin. Very good. 
made one want to get up straight away and witness to somebody. I drifted off into a pleasant daydream in which I began to preach in the street and ended up with a huge crowd of people all repenting in tears and and being healed of sicknesses just by the touch of my hand. I was near tears during the hymn that followed as I pictured myself addressing vast assemblies of needy people throughout the world. I came to with a shock as I realized that Reverend Edwin was asking for people to volunteer to actually do some evangelism next Friday. Sat down as low in my seat as I possibly could, trying to look like someone whose earnest desire to evangelize had just been thwarted by a previous diary appointment. And I read that and thought, hmm, hmm, yeah. You need to tell the world about Jesus Christ. They need to do that, don't they? They need to do that. And Jesus should say, no, it is, it's a call I've given to the whole church in your own way, within your own temperament, to tell people about my kingdom. Jesus is the risen hero of Acts. He commissioned the apostles. We have an echo of that. And crucially, we need to know he's reigning until his return. Verses 9 to 11. After he'd said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside the men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So verse 9, gone. In a very demonstrable way. You know, pretty impressive way to go. So this is different from his other appearings and disappearings that have taken place since the resurrection. This is a demonstrable thing. He's gone. There's a finality here. Jesus has gone to reign. And so the angels say to the men looking on, stop your daydreaming, crack on. Don't just reverently worship Jesus. Crack on. No good pietistically saying, oh, wonderful Jesus. It's so lovely to know him. And he'll return one day. Crack on, say the angels. Go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Go and build the kingdom. Because that is what Jesus is doing. That's what he's doing now. He's reigning in heaven. And he's building his kingdom. And unlike you and me, I don't suppose he's overly anxious about Brexit. About the occupants of 10 Downing Street, the Oval Office. I don't suppose he's too anxious about nuclear testing in North Korea because he reigns over everything. And he's building his kingdom. I don't suppose he spends as much time as you and me thinking about work or schools or houses or holidays. He's building his kingdom. That's all about you and me. What's our mission? You've got to have a purpose. Uh, Phil Alcock was telling me this week uh, about Love Battersea. So Love Battersea, a group obsessed with uh, the area around Lavender Hill and, and Clapham Junction, having it renamed Battersea. Technically, it's Battersea, but everyone knows it's Clapham Junction, the Clapham Junction area. But there are a group of people who have committed their lives to seeing it renamed Battersea. So when Phil was there and ran Clapham Central Church, their sign was defaced, Battersea Central Church. 
uh, and uh, not uniquely, it wasn't particularly a sort of persecution against the church. Also, um, and so I did a little bit of further research about this, and it's a fairly active group. They've got 325 members, and uh, their chairman is a chap called Philip Beddoes. Uh, and uh, they've got an active Facebook page campaigning. He said that the highlight, that the greatest triumph of Love Battersea was in 2014, when a sign went up at Clapham Junction saying, Clapham Junction, and underneath it, the heart of Battersea. (laughs) And he said, his press release at the time, which is still on their website, this means everything to us. I don't mean to be mean, and I'm sure he's delightful, but that is tragic. That that means everything. It's a turn of phrase, I know, I'm sure he doesn't mean that. I'm sure he loves his wife and children, etc., more than... <laughs> but you're going to give your time and energy to that? Jesus Christ is building his kingdom. It's unstoppable. It lasts into eternity. Clapham Junction... Less so. Lavender Hill, Battersea Hill, Clapham Hill. I don't care. What are you going to leave your life to? Be involved in building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Have you mentioned uh, uh, this book? And I'm going to mention it until everyone has bought one. Uh, I haven't got them. They will be available next week. It's a book written by Steve Griffiths, who we support. He's one of our mission partners. He gave me a copy uh, back in January, uh, which is kind of him, or February. Uh, he'd written it. And uh, eventually I picked it up this summer out of duty, if I'm honest. I thought he's a mission partner. I ought to read it. Um, but, you know, he's a lovely bloke. But not everyone can write. And it's fantastic. I publicly repent. So it's a story of how his parents and he, as a young kid growing up, uh, were a missionary couple to Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, of course, in the 1960s and 70s, uh, and how they were there when there was a push for independence, how they lived constantly in fear of their lives, how uh, every road they traveled on was mined and their vehicles got blown up and and how they persevered through that. Uh, the centerpiece of the story really is the, the, uh, they'd built a, a big hospital, several hundred patients in school, uh, and how one night all the white missionaries were killed by um, uh, ZANU-PF forces. It is a fantastic book. All number of wonderful things in here. Let me just tell you, from right at the very beginning, Peter Griffiths, age 22, has decided he's going to go and be a missionary to Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, act as a school teacher and teach the gospel while he's there. He was asked by the mission agency that he'd contacted, have you been called by God? Do you know you've been called to Rhodesia? He said, to be honest, I'm not applying because of a supernatural experience of being called by God. Rather, I have a desire to do God's will. I see the tremendous need. I have the academic qualifications necessary. I'm young, I'm healthy. I believe in the God-given vision of a lost world that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I should go. It's nothing special. No vision, no calling as such. He said, I just have a vision of a lost world that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he grew up, he went there, married, brought up his family, 
living daily with the, the threat of death. You need to know that Jesus Christ is risen. Currently he's reigning. And he will return. And there's a whole world that needs to know about his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. It is unstoppable. What else do we want to give our lives to? We want to feel particularly, oh, that's not my thing. No, you just need to be convicted. You just need to know. You need to have confidence. Be certain. He's risen. He's reigning. He will return. And that has an unstoppable logic to it. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to trust in Jesus Christ and enter his kingdom. For those of us who are, that is the work we're to do now. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank and praise you that you want us to be certain of the truths of the faith, of the content of the gospel. Certain. And Father, we thank and praise you that we can be, that Jesus, we can be sure that Jesus Christ is risen, he's reigning, and he will return. And Father, in the light of those truths, would we be those committed to see your gospel message spread, see the kingdom spread to the ends of the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.